Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Lots of people know, your family and your friends, your coworkers, your small group, your kids, they, they know you, they know who you are. You are a teacher. You're a mechanic, you're an accountant, you're mom or dad, you are a brother or a sister, you're grandma or grandpa, you're a friend, a mentor, a coach, and people know some things about you. They know some things you like, some of the ways that you, that you think and act, and all of this goes together into a profile of who people know you to be. And, and all this stuff is really important. And then there's another version of you that no one really knows. It's deeper than all this other stuff. It's the version of you that has dreams and doubts. The version of you that gets excited and the version of you that struggles with anxiety and fear. It's the most fragile version of you, and yet it's the most real version of you as well. Today in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, it's going to speak to the deeper self, that sort of inner self in the deepest sense of who we are, that version of us that only we know and God knows. So we're diving deep into the scriptures and deep into the heart today. Romans chapter eight, if you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on, go to Romans chapter eight. And if you woke up and thought to yourself, it's Thanksgiving, it's just gonna be an easy softball kind of sermon. Sorry. <laughs> Romans chapter eight. Romans is written by a guy named Paul, the apostle Paul, and he's writing to a group of mostly Jewish Christians. Romans is written to Christians in, yeah, Rome, right? And he's writing to them, he's writing this letter with a purpose at the sort of the highest level of why does Paul write this letter? It's to answer a question. It's the question, how can I be right with God? Not in a religious sort of way, not in a behavioral, external kind of way, but in my deepest sense, in this deepest inner version of my soul, how can I be right with God? And I guess my hope is that today you would listen and you'd be vulnerable to this text because it's God's word and it's alive. And if you listen, it'll change you. And I think if you will let it, this passage that we're going to look at today will speak to and meet us in our deepest needs and our deepest self. So Romans 8, we're going to jump right in Romans 8, verse 1, Paul writing, here's what he says. He says, therefore, now what have I taught you about the word therefore? When you see the word therefore, you got to ask a question, right? You got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? It's uncovering something. It's saying because of something that happened or that was said, therefore, right? Well, what happened before this? If we rewind and we go back to chapter 7, Paul spends an entire chapter, again, he's talking to mostly Jewish Christians. He's talking to people who are ethnically Jewish. They were raised practicing Judaism, following the law of the Old Testament, but now they have converted to Christianity. He's talking to mostly these Jewish Christians, and he's writing to them. And in chapter 7, he talks about how they're free from the law, from the Old Testament law. They're free from that. They're no longer bound by that because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So he says, therefore, because of that, you can go back and read it for yourself in chapter seven. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. So he's talking to Christ followers, right? He says there is no condemnation. What does condemnation mean? It means it just means punishment. It just means it's like the word punishment, the word sentence. He's saying there's no punishment for Christ followers. Hang on to that. It's going to be really important here in just a minute. Because, verse 2, because through Christ, why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, right? There was an Old Testament law. This law that God gave through Moses revealed to people their sin. It showed them right and wrong, revealed their need for God and made a way for forgiveness. This Old Testament law that we could never keep because we are, by nature and by choice, we are sinners. What this law was incapable of doing, he says, God did. The law was powerless, but here's what God did. He sent his own son in, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's look at this little phrase. He condemned sin in the flesh. It's super important. And, and I, I sincerely believe that for someone, you're going to hear this. This little phrase today is why God brought you to church. This is why he got you out of bed today is because you need to hear this phrase. Someone, you're gonna catch this and it's going to set you free. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. What does that mean? Just take it piece by piece. So in the flesh, we're talking about Jesus when he was physically on earth, right? Specifically, we're talking about what he did while he was on the cross. In his flesh on the cross, he condemned sin. What does that mean again? Remember, condemned. He punished. He took away the punishment. When he was on the cross, he took away the punishment of sin. Here's why that matters. Because as a follower of Christ, your sin has already been punished. Jesus took on the punishment of your sin. It's this really big theological word, propitiation. The, the sin, the punishment that was due to you and me, because God is holy and God is perfect and God is just, and yet you and I are sinners and we live our life and we've amassed a record of sin, right? We have a debt. God is perfect, so he has to punish our sin. All the sins that you and I have committed throughout our life have to be punished, and so God has to punish someone for that. But the punishment that was coming for you and for me that had my name written on it, Jesus took that punishment on himself. He became the propitiation. He took the punishment on himself when he was on the cross. And what that means for you and for me is that today, and for the rest of your life, it means that your sins cannot, cannot be punished because they've already been punished. Do you get that? This should help some of us tremendously because deep inside, we live in fear that God is going to get us. We live in this fear that God is going to punish us. He knows what I've done. 
He saw it. He heard what I said. We have this image in our mind of an angry God who is going to get his pound of flesh one way or another. And maybe he's sort of letting me off the hook for now. Maybe he's kind of looking the other way, but we assume, oh, he's going to get us at some point. He's going to punish us for that thing we did, for that thing that we said. And so we're walking around and, and nobody else knows it, but we know it in our deepest inner, inner, inner self. We're walking around with this threat of God sort of looming, this fear sort of looming, hanging over us that God's going to get us that God is going to punish us for the things that we've done. And so that brings lots of shame and it brings lots of guilt. When's he going to get us? And Paul goes, that's not true. Not only is God not going to punish your sins, but he literally can't because he's already punished them. See, your, your gossip it's not just forgiven. It's already been punished. My foul mouth, the hurtful things that I've said, the crass jokes that I've made, it's not just forgiven. It's already been punished. Your, your lust, your adultery is not just forgiven. It's already been punished. All the ways that we are judgmental, the ways that I have hate in my heart, not just forgiven, it's already been punished. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the punishment that was coming for you and for me was put on him. He took that on. And so now you and I can't be punished because we would be, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we cannot be punished because that would be punishing the same sin twice. And God is perfect. And he's just, and he can't do that. Are you with me? This is such a big deal for some of us because we beat ourselves up over and over and over again for things that we did or we said years ago, maybe decades ago. And this, none of this means that sin doesn't bear consequence. It does. You've felt it, I've felt it, we've experienced the consequence consequence of sin in our life. But Paul says that God is, is not out to get you. He's not out to punish us because he's already punished our sin. Is that good news? So brother or sister, listen to me. You're free from sin and shame. You're free from the punishment of sin. You don't have to fear God that he's going to punish you for your sin. I know you've heard it a thousand times, but receive it today. Deep within, you're free. You're not condemned. God's not going to punish you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, whatever you've done, whatever he would punish you for, and he is holy and perfect, he has to punish sin, but whatever he would punish you for, that punishment has already been done. It was done by Jesus. I mean, like, that's enough. We should go home. Just end of story. We're not going to, though. Verse 4. <laughs> Verse 4 says, in order that, he's going to explain why. Why are we not condemned by our sin? Well, it's because of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. He's going to explain to us why he did that. In order that, he says, in order that the, right, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, 
who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God is holy and perfect. He has to punish sin. The perfection that God requires, we could not achieve. We could not match the perfect law. And so God has to send Jesus to take on the punishment and to forgive our sins. Verse five. Those who live according to the flesh, Paul writes, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, this is really helpful for me too. Everybody is so afraid of Romans, but if you just slow down and break it down and take it piece by piece, it's just super practical. He's starting to make this sort of distinction. If you are in Christ, he says, you are not condemned, right? But that doesn't give us license to just keep on sinning. Those who are in Christ have been changed. We've been forgiven. Our punishment for our sin has been taken away. The Holy Spirit of God has been put inside of us. We are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. And so true, we cannot be condemned. We cannot be punished for our sin. We don't live by a law. We're, we're free from all of that. We're guided by the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us. But that doesn't just become a free-for-all, right? Paul says that we are to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And he says this. He says that being led by the Holy Spirit of God, at least some of that, he says, begins in the mind, right? So he says, those who live by the flesh, he's talking about non-believers, set their minds on what the flesh desires, on earthly things. But those who live in accordance with the spirit, he's talking about believers, Christ followers, have their minds set on what the spirit desires, have their mind on spiritual things. This makes perfect sense to me because what I've experienced, and I'm guessing this is true for you, as well, but what's true for me is that some of the greatest battles that I face, not all, but many of the greatest battles that I face are in my mind. I mean, while this passage is so theologically heavy and rich, it's just super practical. Because when you think about, okay, there's this part of me that everyone knows, and then there's this part of me that I know and God knows. In the deepest part of me, the battles that I face, what are they? So many of them are things that are going on in my mind. The battle for whether what I'm going to believe, whether I'm going to embrace shame or freedom. The struggle between pride and humility. The ways that I want to gossip when I know I should just shut up. It's all going on in my mind. Paul is so right. This war that's being waged uh, over my anxiety, uh, of my sin, my pride, my, my lust, all of that, it, it's, it starts in my mind. It's just so helpful to me. I've heard it said this way before, that you have to think about, you have to think about what you're thinking about. So what's, what's the stuff that's going on in your mind? Am I thinking about flesh? Am I thinking about earthly things? Or am I thinking about godly? Am I thinking about spiritual things? Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians. He says to take captive every thought. Same thing, right? And so as I, as I go about my life, what am I thinking about? As I'm thinking about sinful things, as I'm thinking about things in my flesh, earthly things, 
Paul says to replace that with spiritual things, with godly things, super practical stuff as you think about the wrestling that goes on in the deepest parts of you. Paul has identified it. It, it starts, it has something to do with what's going on in our mind. And with the Spirit's help, we can think about the things that we're thinking about. And, and we have God's help control over that. Keep going. Remember, we're trying to answer this question in just super practical ways. How can I be right with God? Jesus Christ has come. He's died on the cross. He's forgiven my sins, and he's taken on the punishment of my sin, and God has put his Holy Spirit inside of each of us to help us think about spiritual things. Keep going. Verse 6. The mind that's governed by the flesh <clears throat> is death. I've, I've felt that. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse nine, you, uh-oh, now it's personal. It's just been, we've just been talking theology so far, right? It's just been a Bible lesson. Now he goes, oh, you, me, brothers and sisters, you, he says, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. He's saying, listen up. Listen up, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. This is instruction for you and I. Jump down to verse 12. Therefore, he says, again, what's he been talking about? Based on all of this theology, right? Based on what Christ has done and that God has put his spirit inside of us to lead us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not an obligation to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will live. Brothers and sisters, he says, we have all this theology, He's laid out this vast framework of what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross to take away our sins and to take away the punishment of our sins. He's put his Holy Spirit inside of us to lead us. And he says, therefore, because of all of that, let's put this theology into action. He says we have an obligation. We have a duty because of everything that he said so far, because of this rich theological truth, we have an obligation. We have a duty to be led by the Spirit of God, right? All this theology, and it matters, and it's a little complex. Let me run through it one more time, right? God is holy and perfect. We are not. We are sinners. We have amassed a record of sin, and because God is holy, he can't allow sin to flourish, right? God is also just, so he has to punish that sin. There was a law that revealed to us our sin and our need for God. We could never keep that law. We fell short of that, right, because of our sin. So God sends Jesus. Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life, but he dies on a cross. What happens on the cross? He not only dies to forgive our sins, but he takes on the punishment of our sins. When he dies, 
Scholars would say he doesn't just expiate or doesn't just remove our sin. It's not like it's tucked away in a closet or God goes, ah, just brush that aside. It's not that big of a deal. No, no, no. He propitiates our sin. He has to punish our sin. And so Jesus himself does that. He becomes the propitiation of our sin. Then God puts his spirit inside of us and his spirit leads us. And Paul is saying, all that theology, great. If you want to be right with God at your core, in your deepest, innermost version of yourself, if you want to be in a right relationship with God, based on all that theology and all that God has given you, it's about following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Remember, remember, Christ follower, God cannot punish your sin because he's already punished it. It's a free gift. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. And now we have freedom from Christ, through Christ, from sin. But it's not meant to be a free-for-all. Paul says because of all that, the thing that we are called to do, our obligation, our duty is to be led and follow the Spirit of God. See, Romans, you just have to take it a piece at a time. And it's really, it's really simple. And the Apostle Paul is always accused of being this sort of this academic, this stoic, right? And, he, and he's very heady in the way he writes. But this is all hard. This is all pastoral. Paul is saying, I want you to have freedom. There is freedom for which Jesus died. And so many of us are walking around with shame and guilt. And he goes, there's freedom. You have freedom through Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit of God to lead you. If you will follow him, he wants to lead you. This is all hard, and it cuts to our deepest senses to be led by the Spirit of God. Let me take what Paul has said and sort of turn it and sort of hold it up to you, to this idea of being led by the Spirit of God, and, and, and ask you the question, who's leading your life? Who's leading you through life? Right? That's what he's saying, to be led by not the flesh, but the Spirit of God. He says there's, there's two possibilities, two options. You can be led, right, he says, by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God inside you leads you to goodness, to love, to joy, to truth, to peace, or you can be led by the flesh. This is our sin nature. This is the part of me that wants to do whatever I want to do. And Paul is describing, which is so real, and you feel it all the time, is that we're pretty much stuck right there. Because in the deepest parts of me, there's an incredibly deep desire to follow the Spirit's leading. And, as Paul suggests, there is an incredibly strong desire to do whatever the heck I want to do. And it is a war. And Paul says that every day, every minute of the day, we have to decide which will we follow. One voice, one voice causes us to pursue holiness. One voice tells me I'm a child of God. Another voice says I'm a fraud and a failure. Another voice justifies all kinds of behavior and all kinds of sin. One voice says to slow down, to not speak too fast, to not be angry. The other voice says to lash out or to gossip. One voice says to love. The other voice says to hate. Do you, do you know this tension? 
talking about being led by the Spirit of God, do you know the tension of how hard that is? Don't you feel this every day? We have an obligation, Paul says. We have an obligation because of what Christ has done, because of all that rich theology that he poured out. We have an obligation to surrender and to be led by the Holy Spirit of God and to follow. So how do we do it? Let's get practical. How do we live a life that is led not by the flesh, which, by the way, Paul says leads to death, but led by the Spirit of God? And he leads us to life and peace and joy. Just a couple of things if you want to write some notes down right from Paul. How do we follow? How are we led by the Spirit of God? Number one is this, is to listen. We've got to listen for the Holy Spirit. And I am quite certain that you get tired of me beating this drum, but some of us have a listening problem. We really want to hear God speak. We really want God to lead so that we can follow him. God, speak to me. Tell me what to do. Lead my life. And yet we won't shut up and sit still that we could actually hear from him. God doesn't want to yell. God wants to whisper to his people. He wants to be so close and have it be quiet so that we actually hear him when he whispers. If I want to be led by the Spirit, if you want to be led by the Spirit of God, we got to cut out some of the noise in our lives so that it, it's quiet. Do you know how many stories I can show you in the Bible where you would look at the events, or you would look at a character, and you go, man, that man or woman, they are really connected with God. Man, they are really led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we could just go one after the other after the other. Moses and, and, and Joshua and David and Elijah, they just seem to be so connected, so led by the Spirit of God. Guess what is true about all of them? They spend time with God. They have patterns in their life. They have seasons in their life where you see them just sitting and being quiet, listening to God, talking to God. Jesus does the same thing. Throughout his life, you read in the Gospels that Jesus has to get alone. He's got to get away from the crowd. He's got to get away from the noise. He's got to get away even from his disciples. He has to be alone so that he can pray. He can talk to God and he can hear from his Father if I'm serious about living a life led by the Spirit of God, I have to find ways and time to listen, which means we have to be intentional. I don't know about you, but I'm so good at being busy. And as soon as I have downtime, as soon as I have an opening in my calendar, I'm plugging something else in there. I'm just going to be busy and busy. And somehow we value being busy. And what happens is we stop practicing sort of the timeless art the Bible talks about over and over again of just be still. Be quiet so that you can listen. And so my encouragement to you is if you don't have regular rhythms and spaces where you can be alone and quiet with God and, and you're serious about living a life that's led by the Spirit of God, my encouragement to you is to be intentional, to find ways to build that into your life. Second thing, if you want to follow the leading of the Spirit is you have to kill sin. These are Paul's words, not mine. Paul's words in verse 13. You want to follow the Spirit? It means putting to death, he says, the misdeeds of the body. It's, daily, it's that daily practice, Paul knew it well, of killing sin. It's an intentional decision that we make with the help of the Spirit. So for me, it's an intentional decision. When I know in my flesh I want to curse, the Spirit helps me not to speak at all. When in my flesh I, I want to lash out or I want to be angry at my kids, it's killing that by listening to the Spirit 
Take a deep breath, Brad. Slow down. This, this war, there is a clash. There is a clanging between spirit and flesh. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, brother or sister, but your flesh is raging against it. And so we have to intentionally choose to listen to the Spirit. We have to be able to be quiet to hear the Spirit, but then we have to intentionally choose to follow the Spirit. It's by killing sin. In my life, the best way I know to kill sin is to starve it, right? So I, I know my flesh, I have, my flesh has an insatiable appetite for arrogance. I have to starve that. How do I do it? I have to be intentional about being generous. I have to be intentional about serving other people. I have to be intentional about following the Spirit's leading to put other people first in all the ways that are not natural to me, but all the ways that I can, because that starves my arrogance and my ego and helps me kill sin. And it doesn't mean that it's easy, but over time, temptation doesn't go away, but over time, you know the Spirit's voice better. Please don't play around with sin if you're serious about following the Holy Spirit and living a life that's marked by following the Holy Spirit. Please don't toy around with sin. Don't ignore the fact that the, the Spirit of God in you and your flesh are at odds. And if right now, if you're entertaining the thought of sin or you're toying around with sin in some way, please talk to someone. Please confess it to God and ask for help so that you can listen to the Spirit and you can follow his lead. Finally, if you want to live a life led by the Spirit, it starts by being obedient in small things. Here's what I know to be true in my life is that when I've been obedient in small things, the Spirit of God has spoken to me in larger things. When I'm obedient to the Spirit, when he says, be generous to that person in need, and I, and I follow through with that. When I'm obedient in small ways, when the Spirit says, don't be arrogant, don't curse, I'm obedient in those small ways, he speaks to me in larger ways. I think Jesus confirms this, right? He says, whoever is faithful and little will be trusted with bigger things, with larger things. Why would God share really big things with us if we're not obedient in small ways? Be obedient in just the everyday small ways. When God says to be generous to that person in need, just do it. When God says, puts on your heart to ask that coworker if you can pray with them, just do it. When God tells you to send a text of encouragement to someone, don't write that off and go, oh, it's not a big deal. They're busy. They probably don't need to hear from me. They don't care. No, just do it. When God tells you to confess some sin to him, just do it. When God says to forgive someone, listen to him. Because as you are obedient in small things, why would God lead you in bigger ways if you won't do the small things? As you are obedient in small ways, God leads us in larger ways. Who's leading you through life? Not, don't worry about what anybody else thinks, worry about what they would say about you. Not on the sort of, you know, on that outside of who people know, in the deepest parts of you. In that inner space that you know and God knows. Who's leading you? Your flesh? Or the Spirit of God? We've covered a lot of ground today and lots of things that I guess God could put on your heart. I, I hope it's 
freeing for you to hear there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I hope that for someone, that idea that God is sort of looming over you, waiting to get you, he's gonna pounce, I hope you experience today freedom from that. Maybe for some of you, it's this, this reminder that there's a war going on and it begins in the mind. And so we have to take captive our thoughts. We have to think about the things that we're thinking about. And I hope that's really practical for you. For others, maybe it's just this question of who is leading my life? And I, I sort of just trust that God in his perfect plan for you and for me, in his Holy Spirit, he will reveal to you today how he's gonna work in you. Maybe it's through something I said. Maybe it's through something I didn't say. Something else that is true about God. And I, and I trust that you will do the work to ask God, God, how can I be led by you more? How can I follow your spirit? I, I wanna just end with reading, reading these last few verses because I think they're really encouraging. These last few verses of this section, Paul says this. Verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Listen to it again. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into the family of God. And by him, we cry out to God, dad, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, we may also share in his Glory. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for your word. Father, thank you for your love. We are through the work of Jesus Christ, not condemned by our sin, God. That is so big and so freeing. I, I don't even know how to respond to that, Lord, but I pray that you would embed that in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would use that in someone's life today, that they would be set free from shame and guilt and walking around with a heaviness, wondering when are you gonna get them? When are you gonna pounce? God, it's not who you are. You are, as Paul just told us, you are a perfect dad. We call out to you, Father. God, you know the wars that are being waged between your spirit and our flesh and what's going on in our mind. God, help us to take captive every thought. Help us to think about the things that we're thinking about and by the power of your spirit to take control over those things, to set our mind on spiritual, godly things. And God, show us ways. Search our heart now and reveal to us individually in the deepest sense of us, in the version of us that you know, God, reveal to us ways that we need to follow you more and submit to you. God, thank you for Jesus, the propitiation of our sin, who took on the punishment that we deserved. For in him and in his name, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.